welcome back to another podcast of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. This is your host, Rebecca. I am happy to bring you a solo podcast today. It's been bubbling up in my brain for some time and finally matured in the last couple of days, and I thought I just got to sit down and, and record this. But before I get to that, I just want to express my gratitude. It's that time of year. For all of you listening, we're up over 1,300 listeners, several thousand downloads, and that has just been the highlight of my year. It's been so much fun to have this conversation with all of you, and this dialogue has been really inspiring, and I'm just really, really, really happy to be doing this project and continue definitely into next year. So anywho, if you haven't listened to the episode last week, that's the one I recorded with my grandmother. It is awesome. I am (laughs) looking at her birthday is actually tomorrow. And I am just so thankful that that she took the time and the effort and the candid nature about her to actually complete that podcast episode. So anyway, just a plug for that one as well. So today I am going to think about a term that I use when I have my doctor hat on. As many of you know, I am a rehab physician. So I work a lot with patients and families that have had things happen to them that change their quality of life or their function and oftentimes uh, severe enough to where that they might need a caregiver. And so first I'm going to talk with my, my doctor hat on and then I'm going to switch over to sort of the larger conversation. So when we're evaluating whether or not somebody, how, hmm, how would I say this? <laughs> the prognosis of somebody's life after they leave our hands and our care, once they leave the hospital process, the inpatient rehab process, and ended up transitioning to going home. One of the things we look for, even before we've accepted or admitted that person into a rehab unit, is whether or not they have what we call a willing and able caregiver. Now I've used that term probably hundreds or thousands of times in my career, and it just kind of rolls off our tongue. That is what they're called. And that just means a responsible adult attached to the patient who's going to take the reins or the responsibility in taking care of this patient once they return home. And I was thinking about this the other day, and that's how the the podcast started percolating, which is I really wanted to take some time to dissect what that means. And what it means to a clinician on the rehab side is what are we working towards? What kind of support system do we have? What's on the other end of this? Who is out there? What are they able to do? What are they willing to do? And that actually helps inform our treatment plan and our approach from day one. So if I know that we're working towards this person going home with a daughter or son-in-law or something like that, that's going to be able to take care of them, we actually will, will trend towards that. We'll actually shape the rehab program around knowing that there's going to be somebody on the other end versus us knowing, hey, wait a minute, there is no what we call willing and able caregiver on the other end of this process. We've either got to think about trying to get this person to be able to go home and really structuring the rehab program towards maximum independence, which we do anyway. But this idea that maybe the kind of equipment they need and the support that they need is going to be more if they're going to go home alone, if that's even possible. Or more commonly is, my goodness, you know, what if we're going to end up looking at a discharge over to a nursing facility or an assisted living, something like that, if we're not able to identify that quote unquote willing and able caregiver on the other end. 
So the way I want to approach this is to take these two words, and of course I think, I love math, so I'm thinking of like, you know, a diagram, and there's four different boxes. So you have willing on one axis and able on the other axis. And before we dive into what these different combinations are of, say, not willing but able, or not able but willing, I want to talk just a little bit about what those terms mean. So let's go to the cut and dry one first, one that's a little bit more easy to evaluate. And so that's looking at a potential support system. And this is usually uh, a spouse, an adult child, maybe a neighbor, maybe an actual caregiver, some, some other affiliated adult. And that person is going to be taking care of whatever needs are remaining for this patient. So that could be help with showering. That could be help with transferring from a wheelchair to a toilet. That could be help with cooking, cleaning, getting dressed. And of course it varies depending on what disability we're looking at. So if it's a really, really bad stroke, you might need help with all those things. If it's just a knee replacement or a hip replacement for a couple of weeks, you know, that's a little bit lighter. But when we look at the word able, so willing and able, so let's just dissect able a little bit. There's a couple of components of what we're thinking about when we say, is somebody willing and able to help take care of this person? The most obvious part is, are they physically able to do this? And you'd be surprised how people can grossly over or underestimate their own physical ability. So if I have a patient who's say 6'5 and, and 400 pounds, and the willing and able adult or the willing adult is 4 foot 10, 85 pounds, they are not physically able to meet the needs of this patient if it includes something like transferring from one service to the other or getting, like I said, getting up and down off of a shower chair or something like that. Now, could they help cook and clean? Yes. Could they help a little bit with dressing? Absolutely. But when you get into the more bread and butter, more difficult activities of daily living, especially those that require help moving somebody's weight, either from sitting to standing or standing to walking or one surface to another surface, or even getting in and out of a vehicle, say to go to a doctor's appointment, when we're wondering if somebody is able, like again, the most practical part of this is are they physically able to do this? And one of the ways that we test this in rehab, if we're not sure, right? So there's a gray zone. You could, you could look and say, this person has a really bad back. They're not able to do that. Or they have their own health issues or their own balance issues. And them helping this patient would endanger their safety as well. So on the other end of it, you might have somebody who's kind of in that that gray zone. You're like, I'm not really sure if they're able. And we do something called family training. So family training is where we'll actually bring that individual into the rehab process and put them in a simulated situation and either teach them how to do it or observe them doing it and make our own professional assessment as to whether or not this is a safe activity. So we can think about able, and I'd say number one top up there is is even physically practical that this adult can take care of this adult. And, and you know, there's a process to determine that. The next part of being able is, is really, it's a variation of that, is whether or not they're available. So you might have an adult that's able to take care of somebody, but they're still working. Or they have, they work from home, but they have to be by their computer a certain amount of time, or they take care of their own children or a different aging parent, or they, they may also just not live in an area or they live really far away. And so you may have somebody who's physically able to take care of them, but not available to do so. And so kind of smushed in with able is available. The assumption is 
that if they're able to do it, we're also saying that they're available to do it. Now, now in a lot of cases, somebody might be available, but it's usually overnight. So they might be available, say, after work until the morning. So that can cover dinner, going to bed, getting up in the morning, but they don't necessarily cover what happens during the day. So those meal times, going to the bathroom, showering, etc. And so you really have to get good at understanding what the willing and able means. And able, again, meaning the physical part of it, but then also the availability. So let's switch over now to willing, which interestingly enough, I was looking up the definition of willing just to make sure it didn't sound ridiculous. And the definition of willing is way more positive than I thought it was. There's reference to uh, ready, eager, prepared, and kind of a positive spin to it. But when I think of the word willing, I think of it like I talk to my kids, like I'm willing to take you to the movies if you, you know, clean up the dog stuff in the backyard. I don't know. So, so I don't know that I always use willing in a positive way. I'm sure it could be like, oh, he was a willing participant in this. But in this term, when I say somebody is willing and able, we don't necessarily have a positive spin on the willing. It's not like they're knocking down our doors and saying, you know, how can I be available to take care of this person? But if we dive a little bit deeper in the word willing, I think this is softer and more subjective than able. So when we looked at able, it's like, can you physically do this? Are you close enough? Do you have the time? And those seem very black and white kind of objective to me, or at least can be ascertained through a little bit of extra investigation. Like, is that person able? Whether or not a person is willing is really excitingly spicy to me because I think there's a lot of factors in that. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody say that they're willing, but then take every action possible to not be able or not be available. And I think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that can go on and understandably so it's a big commitment. So we're basically calling people saying, hey, you know, your dad, he's having a lot of trouble, can't move his left side, now incontinent, has difficulty communicating. What about him moving in with you, (laughs) right? And so when we think about the word willing, I think of it as it's a loaded subject and whether or not somebody is willing to do something in my mind comes down to, again, almost like a formula. So there's a risk benefit analysis. So I'll go back to like taking my kids to the movie, right? So the risk is I probably don't like the movie. It's going to cost a lot of money because movies are expensive these days. But the benefit is, hey, this is a trade-off. I'm going to get them to engage in in an unsavory task and we'll get to spend some time together. So there's a risk benefit analysis when trying to decide if you're willing to do something. And then that's always in the backdrop of your value system. So your value system is the sort of the trump card. So it can, you can do a risk benefit analysis. And if the risk is a little bit high and the benefits a little bit low, you kind of go check with your value system and say, you know, is this something that I do because it's part of my value system? And that's how you can kind of overcome the imbalance between risk benefit. And of course, if the benefit's really high and the risk is really low, of course, you're almost always willing to do that, right? So if I say, hey, here's a bunch of, you know, free lotto tickets, will you scratch them off and and you can keep them if you win? You'd be like, sure, I'm willing to do that. The risk is very low. The potential benefit is very high, right? Maybe I lose like, you know, three minutes scratching them off, but benefit, maybe I could win a million dollars, something like that. But that's obviously not the case when thinking about helping to support an aging parent or aging loved one. When we talk about willing, it's a much more, to me, nuanced and complex decision. 
as you've seen evidenced by pretty much every podcast we've had up to this date. And you've heard people talk about this being an easy decision, right? The willingness was there before the need was even present. And then you've also heard people talk about this being an extremely difficult decision or simply being unwilling to participate in care because of, again, the risk, benefit, values, all that, all those things. And when I say value system, I don't just mean the sort of, you know, check the box, am I a good daughter? Am I a good child? Am I a good whatever, right? The value system, I'm, I'm really big about this, has to be in totality. Because when we're talking about taking care of an aging parent in this way, this is a zero sum game. I'll refer you back to the podcast called The Zero Sum, right? Exploring the zero sum game in that podcast, which is there's a finite amount of time, a finite amount of attention, a finite amount, a finite amount of your own health, right? And, and your resources. So I'm a big believer in just making sure we have complete sentences when we ask a question, right? Am I willing to take care of this person? And to me, there's 55 other questions underneath that for myself, for my family, for everybody else that would be impacted and what are the alternatives, those types of things. But I have to think about this in in terms of the total impact on my life. And I'm in in a privileged situation that I get to really consider things and say, you know, hey, but this is also really important to me. I, you know, my own children or my own career, those types of things. And that's really why I think this dialogue is so important because there's so many people that are not, maybe not unwilling because of just a, a black, dark heart or something like that. But the modern times, especially for women in careers, has completely changed in the last 50 years. All these calculations are all all weird now. They're, they're different. They're new. And so this idea of are you willing to take care of this person, it almost sounds like it should be an easy thing. Like, you know, when you go to the store and you like buy all your stuff and then they're like, oh, are you willing to donate $1, $2 or $3 to this, this charity, right? And, and so it should look like it's obvious, but then you're like, wait, should I donate a dollar? Or just, maybe I should donate three. Like <laughs> you can really get into these shades of, you know, what is it, what am I making it mean about myself? What am I making it mean about them? What am I afraid of? And I really think the magic in whatever is decided as far as quote unquote being willing or not is to to really understand what that means as best you can in that moment. And that's what the rehab teams, the best rehab teams that are out there should be very good at articulating that for the families. Like, what does this mean? What are you asking somebody to do? And really getting down to, and we've even written, you know, written plans about this. Like, well, what's needed is somebody to get this patient up out of bed in the morning, take them to the bathroom, which includes a transfer from their bed to the wheelchair, wheelchair to the toilet, wait, you know, prescribed a number of minutes, help them clean up, get them back into the wheelchair, get them back into the bed, bring them breakfast. I mean, you could go all the way down the day. And if you're in any any of these situations where you're considering taking care of somebody and taking that responsibility, just really push those teams to be really articulate about what that means. So um, going back to being willing, I don't think it is a a yes, no answer. It goes back to understanding what the demands are going to be and then what the relevant, you know, resources that will need to be spent or expended to do that. Now, of course, the obvious answer is most people are. And one of those reasons is 
And the way that our system works these days is there aren't a lot of other options. And if you look at, say, a private rehab setting, when the insurance runs up, say, on Thursday, then if there weren't any willing and able adults, then there are suddenly a lot of willing and able adults because the cost of staying in these rehab units can be 1500 a day without insurance, maybe $2,000 a day. And so the calculations, like I said, can be quite nuanced. And so when we go back to understanding if there's a willing and able caregiver, I wanna talk about sort of the combinations of that. And I'll start first with the easiest combination. If the, I say potential caregiver, I'll use that word. If the potential caregiver is unwilling and unable, right, that quadrant, right, that's not even a discussion. That That is not somebody that's going to be able to participate in care. That That's like, we don't have to talk more about that. If you have somebody who's opposite direction, so they're both willing and able to help take care of this person, which is for a rehab professional, the ideal situation, then that's the person that you want to target to get them trained up and educated on how to properly take care of this person for their max dignity, independence, and function. And rehab teams love to work with highly engaged family members. Now, in that world, that doesn't always happen. In fact, you you have to kind of get good at the middle ground. So let's talk about the other two options. So we already talked about not willing and not able. Well, not discussion there, right? Very willing and very able. Perfect. That's That's what rehab professionals love. Now let's talk about another combination here which is highly willing, but not able. And that is really, really challenging. And we see this most often when you have a patient and their uh, spouse, who's usually an equivalent age around that time and maybe has a, a number of health problems or restrictions themselves. And these, they've lived together their whole lives. They've taken care of each other. They've supported each other. And now one of them has some new special physical needs or cognitive needs. And of course, they want to be there for them. They will do anything for them. Most of the time by this age, they're both retired. It's not like one's leaving a job to take care of the other. That does happen at younger ages. But when you look at that, that can be really heartbreaking because the willingness is there. The, you know, again, the risk benefit value system, that all is aligned. But the physical ability of somebody to take care of somebody else is just simply not there. And what you run into is people, that's when you get them overestimating their abilities and throwing out their back or falling themselves, or again, just sort of getting into situations that are over their head as far as what they could safely accomplish. And those conversations really go around the rehab team, helping to educate that person as to why this might not be a good idea or a safe idea. And that goes back into those simulated real life situations to to put them literally in a bathroom or a bedroom or a kitchen and then bring up these situations and say, okay, well, if you needed to transfer this person or get this person to do this task, you know, how would you do it? And then doing it in an empathetic and supportive environment where we can explain, you know, this is why this isn't going to work versus just telling somebody. And so we kind of can do this live demonstration to help them grasp or understand the, the true scope of the need for this person. And that can be a very emotional, devastating scenario to work through because there's usually a sense of failure, a sense of, you know, hey, they've always been there for me and I can't be there for them. That that is a that can be a rough thing to work through. But of course, you know, if you're in rehab long enough, you work through it, you figure things out, you support them, get them the help that they need and, and the direction and guidance that they need to to you know move on so that's what that's the third quadrant 
they, that leaves us one quadrant left, which I think is also equally as fascinating as the other ones, which is able but not willing. And this is, again, oftentimes, at least at the beginning of the rehab process, everybody looks able and willing until the true scope of what's needed becomes more clear or the family's going through their own ad- adjustment or grieving process and they understand wait a minute, I, I, I didn't quite realize that they weren't going to be able to walk. I didn't quite realize that they would need this much help. And then the willingness is sort of hitched on to, wait a minute, I'm trying to get a better idea of exactly what we're looking at. And and I don't say this judgmentally. I, I've had this happen so many times where the willingness just sort of dwindles over time. And that's just part of that reality check. And we've even had really difficult situations where somebody was literally supposed to get picked up by a family member and they just don't show up. It's almost like the rubber hitting the road of they're willing, they're willing, and they, I'll tell you what the telltale signs are. They kind of stop answering their phone or they take longer to get back to us or they have a series of like weird, unfortunate events that all happen at the same time. Their car breaks down five times and, and trust me, we've heard it all in the rehab side. And, and I think a lot of it, and I don't say again, I'm not saying this judgmentally. I think a lot of this is that super fascinating, how we end up coping when dealing with, how are we going to come out and say, you know, I'm not willing to do this. And I don't mean that, like, I don't like that person, but maybe they have other things going on in their life. Maybe they're dealing with something. Maybe they just don't want to say to their loved one, look, I can't do this. And it's just easier to, to, to avoid the topic, at least for a while. But, but I can count on, on more than one hand, the, the number of times that somebody has just literally not shown up at the appointed time to take somebody home. And then being the person that has to go into that room and tell them about this and explain it to them can be really, really challenging. And so that quadrant of able, so physically able and available, but not willing, is honestly that that's, that is as nuanced as they can come. And we, we don't necessarily go into this wanting to get into other people's business, but you always end up learning a lot about a family, the family dynamics. Uh, some things come home to roost right about then. So for patients that have been less than savory parents or maybe even abusive parents at times, when we really are looking for that adult child to come around and provide care, then you'd be surprised a number of things that can get brought up as to, you know what, maybe maybe this isn't a good fit for me, maybe I'm not able to do this. And so I would challenge us to think about sort of again on that willing and able spectrum. I, I, would, I don't think of this as a static situation. So if you ask me right now, am I willing and able to take care of my mom or my dad and I'd say, I'd, I'd hope you think I was able, but I know for sure I'm not available. And I may not be physically able to take care of my dad. My dad is about six foot four and he's a big and tall guy. And if somebody asks me to help transfer him from the bed to the chair, which I've tried to do at times when he's needed it, he doesn't need that now, but, but that's tough for even me or even for my brother. So I'm probably sharing too much, but this idea is, whether or not somebody is willing or able to do something is a dynamic process. It depends on what the needs are, depends on your life situation at that time. And that's kind of how we approach it in rehab. So when something has happened, we reach out to the potential caregivers and, and help figure things out and try to identify who those people are. 
And sometimes those people change. Now, one thing I would say it's fascinating, I learned this very early in my career, is for our younger patients that end up in rehab after a car accident or something like that, I always tell the, the residents I'm training with, 90% of the time, you know, mom wins out. If there's a mom and a wife that both emerge as a potential adult caregiver for this person, if they're going to have ongoing needs, especially after a traumatic brain injury, mom always wins. I don't know how to explain it. I've had one case where the wife won, but she won. That was I would say it's an extreme case. And I say won, meaning like ended up being the one long-term to to become the the care provider for that person. And so we've seen many a showdowns between uh, wife and mother-in-law, and I'm sure you know this, mother-in-law wins almost all the time. So anywho, we always try to be objective at the beginning and, you, and the medical power of attorney is the wife and the, that's how that ends up going. But we've seen several divorces in this time period, which sounds crazy because you, you have a patient who can't communicate and is severely disabled, but but divorces do happen in those situations. And oftentimes that that wife might have a job, she might have a couple of kids to take care of, and you can kind of see how that comes together. And I'm not trying to be biased. I say he, this obviously could be a female patient with a male spouse, but having worked in military settings long enough, it's mostly young males that, that my experience is with. So anywho, so going back to understanding, so if you ask yourself today, <laughs> so if you say you're the aging parent, which I'm an aging parent, and I always look at my adult kids and say, are they willing and able? You know, I can think about it in that terms, but I mean, it's not like something you would check every year, like a fire alarm. And then if I'm looking at my own parents or my own grandparent, am I willing and able? And that's a good example. So if I think of Nana and as being somebody as part of her care team and she's living with us, I'm certainly more than willing to do it and certainly able to do it, but that could change, right? And I think about that all the time, actually. I mean, I worry because of course I live in this rehab world where these things happen all the time. And I'm like, oh man, we're just like, you know, one stroke away or one dementia diagnosis away from me not being able or not being willing. And again, I don't mean that in a, oh, now you've become disabled and I, I don't want to take care of you. I just mean willing as far as what else I can possibly do in my life and my own family and my own career and trying to understand, you know, what would that look like? And so that is way too much talking about that term, but I, I really like to think about this in a different way and take a step back, a 30,000 foot view. What is a willing and able caregiver? And what are the components of that? And that might help us reframe sort of what is our own responsibility. Because I, if you are sitting here listening to this podcast and you're the adult child of somebody in the future who has a disability, you're already on the list <laughs> as a rehab professional. <laughs> are you married? How many kids do you have? How many grandkids? How many spouses? I mean, we look far and far and wide, right? To find willing and able caregivers for these patients. And so whether you like it or not, you're going to be on the list. And if you end up crossing yourself off the list, that's fine. But there is no escaping the original list, being on the original list. So yeah, so willing and able caregiver, I think that's an interesting concept. Now, every time I say it, I'm going to think differently about it. But that is definitely the, the way that we think on our end and trying to rebuild that support system for that patient. Like I said, there are some scenarios where you have more than one and that's phenomenal. That's the, the ideal situation. And sometimes I will say, I'm talking about it as if it's black and white, like there's one person. But oftentimes there's a team of people. There could be a mix of 
unpaid caregivers and paid caregivers. So somebody coming, say, three times a week, something like that, to help to help out. And that tends to be a more sustainable situation. Having one person as a primary caregiver for a long period of time, as you've heard in this podcast multiple times, is not necessarily a sustainable situation. It can happen. It does happen, right? But the cost really, really can be steep. And when you go back to thinking about whether or not somebody is is willing to do something, I, I think personally, when they first agree to take them off the rehab unit and take them home or or take charge of their care, I don't think they can possibly know what they're agreeing to. Even if I sit there as a physician across from them and explain everything, they're in so much grief and shock themselves, it's going to have to become a lived experience. And as you heard in some of my podcasts, it's only until you get into the experience, now you can't think of it any differently. And you for sure as heck can't get out because now you are the designated adult caregiver for that patient. And so it's a very interesting concept. I'd love to hear from you um, what you thought about or what you think about those two terms. You can always find me on Instagram or or my email address, story at rebeccatapiamd.com. I love, I love it when I hear from listeners. It just makes my day and helps keep me inspired for these podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being here with me today to talk about this. And I look forward to many, many more podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful week. I will talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to take just a moment to review the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational and occasional entertainment purposes only. Nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. By listening to the podcast, we are not creating a patient-doctor relationship between you and myself or any of the guests. Really, it's just me and a possible guest or two, sometimes three, sitting around talking about difficult topics related to aging parents. If you have or suspect that you might have a medical problem or condition, you should seek advice from a licensed medical professional. If you have any questions or concerns, please read the full disclaimer in the show notes or contact me directly. Thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.